I'll be reading from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 5. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks and catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury. He enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant and never at rest because he's as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives, captive all the peoples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's, it's not uncommon for believers in Christ to pass through seasons of their life when they really, really struggle to hold on to their faith. Um, for, for some people, these struggles might arise from intellectual questions that they, they cannot easily answer. For example, maybe a person is having a hard time making sense of what they read in the Bible in light of what they've been taught in philosophy class or biology class or or wherever. And so for intellectual reasons, they might struggle for a while to believe. Other other people have a crisis of faith for ethical reasons. Maybe uh, they see individuals who claim to be Christians living in what are really morally reprehensible ways, and, and this, this can lead them to doubt. They say, you know, how, how can the gospel be true if the behavior of people who claim to believe it is often worse than the behavior of people who don't? They struggle. Maybe you've, you've struggled like that. There are some people who will struggle to hold on to their faith because of suffering, suffering that's maybe going on in their own life or perhaps injustice, oppression, suffering that they see in the world around them. And they just ask, how, how can the God of the Bible exist if he allows evil and oppression to take place in this world? Now, that's the reason, the one I just mentioned, that's the reason why the prophet Habakkuk was struggling in the passage that we're looking 
looking at today. We're, um, we are studying the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a Hebrew prophet who lived in the late part of the 7th century before Christ. And in the passage that we looked at last week, the, the verses that precede what I just read for you, the prophet was informed by the Lord that God was going to send the Babylonians. The Babylonians were a fierce, violent, wicked empire. God was going to send the Babylonians to conquer Judah, to conquer God's own people because God's people had been drifting from them. So, so Habakkuk has just learned that this great injustice, this great act of oppression is about to befall his land. And if you look at uh, the beginning part of the passage I just read, verses 12 through 17 of chapter 1, you can see that this, this just bewildered this poor prophet, just caused him deep consternation. He's, he's almost saying, God, God, I don't understand this. God, I have been taught, I have been taught that you are good. Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. I've been, I've been taught that you're good and I've been told that you are mighty. Verse 12, you are from everlasting. You are my rock. So he's just saying, God, if, if, if indeed you are good and you are great and mighty. End of verse 13, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's basically saying this age-old question, if God really exists, why is there evil? Why is there injustice? Why is there oppression in this world? So he's going through, he's going through what I think we could call a crisis of faith. He's struggling to believe. Now, here's what's helpful in this passage. The way that Habakkuk responds in this crisis of faith and, and the counsel that God gives him here can be very, very helpful for us if and when we ever go through a, a, a time where we're, we are struggling to believe. So the, the question I want to kind of explore as we look at this passage is what do, what do you and I need to survive a crisis of faith. If we ever go through a time where we're just struggling to, with doubts, we're struggling with questions, we, it's hard to believe, what would help us make it through that? And I, I would suggest from this passage, to survive a crisis of faith, there are three things you need. And the first is patience. You just need patience. So Habakkuk is grappling with these questions that he cannot answer. So what does he do? Does he say, forget this, I think I will go explore a new religion. I'll find a new God. Yahweh is not helping me. Or I'll just, does he say, I'll just give up on faith altogether. I won't believe anything. No. What does he say? Verse 1, chapter 2, he says, I will stand at my watch. I've got all kinds of doubts. I have all kinds of questions, but I'm not going to run. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up on the Lord that easily. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So instead of, you know, just kind of panicking at the first sign of doubts and running away from the Lord, Habakkuk just made a decision to wait, to wait patiently and give God time to provide some answers 
To give him some understanding. He just said, I will, I will look to see what he will say to me. And you'll notice here, the Lord, the Lord affirms this response of the prophets. He, he affirms this as a, as a wise thing to do. Verse 3, God says to him, the revelation awaits an appointed time. It's not going to come to you immediately. The answer won't come just like that. He says, the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, Habakkuk, even if it takes a long time to work through this, though it linger, wait for it. Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So when, when faced with these deep doubts and questions about God, Habakkuk waited patiently. For God, eventually, to give him some answers. Lamentations 3, verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him. And so a question that I think confronts us from this passage is, guys, are, are we willing to wait for God? If you're, if you're going through a season where you don't understand, it doesn't make any sense, you've got questions and doubts, Listen, are you willing to live with some uncertainty for a while and just give God some time to work things out for you? I mean, it seems to me that's, that's just kind of a common courtesy that we give to each other all the time. Let's say, let's say you're calling a friend on the phone and she doesn't answer. You call her again, she doesn't answer. You call her again, she doesn't answer. What do you do? You say, well, forget this. That friendship is over. I'll never give her a chance. No. You, know, so you say, there must be some explanation. I'm not getting any answers right now, but there must, there must be a reason. I'll wait to see. We give that courtesy to each other all the time. Don't you think we should do that with God? This doesn't make sense. I don't know why this is happening. It's, this is not what I expected. But I'm not going to bail out on my faith just like that. I will give God time. When I was in, in college, I had a professor, a Bible uh, teacher, who would sometimes just raise some difficult questions. Most, most of us in that class, we, we kind of had a very shallow understanding of our faith, and he, he would kind of raise some difficult questions that stretched our understanding again a little. And instead of just rushing in and answering the question, he would smile and he'd say, think about that for 10 years. Think about that for 15 years. It just taught us to give God time to work things out in our understanding. Elizabeth Elliot, great Christian author, said, don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith. Some truths have been planted in your heart in faith. Maybe they're taking time to grow, but don't dig them up. Give them some time. The other day I was waiting for the bus in front of my house. You know how you do. You wait for the bus and it doesn't come and you wait some more. doesn't come. I step out into traffic. They look down the street. There's no bus coming. So I just said, you know, forget this. I'm not going to wait anymore. And I started, I just started to walk to where I had to go. I got about a block and a half away from the bus stop and you know what happened. Vroom, there goes the Q69. So I, I missed the bus because I wouldn't wait. This is sad, but this is true. There are people who will miss the kingdom of heaven because they didn't just have patience to wait. Give God some time to answer your questions. So to, to survive a crisis of faith, you need patience, all right? Secondly, you need perspective, perspective. Um, 
I don't know if this happens to you, this does to me. Sometimes, you know, when we're really, really distressed by something or we're really confused about what God is doing in our life or maybe what God is not doing in our life, this has ever happened to you? You get so just wrapped up and focused on my problem, my sorrow, my heartbreak that after a while that's all you can think about. That's all you can see, right? Notice here, Habakkuk, he doesn't just wait for answers from God. He waits, chapter 2, verse 1, he waits on the ramparts. He says, I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. Uh, A rampart, you know how they used to have uh, walls around cities in Bible times. A rampart was like a watchtower on different parts of the wall. They would have these high, tall uh, watchtowers, these ramparts. And, and so a rampart, it was a place where you could, you could get up high above the buildings, above the trees, above the people, and you could just see a lot farther than anywhere else. You could see way off into the distance. You would have greater perspective. And I, so, so I think what Habakkuk is saying here, he's just saying metaphorically, rather than just getting so absorbed in my questions and my struggles, just staring my problems from three inches away so that's all I can see. He says, I am going to try to get myself mentally into a high place, into a place where I can just see a little farther, have a little better perspective right now. I heard Tim Keller once preach a sermon on this passage. It was so helpful to me. Here's what he said in that sermon. He said, you must not simply look at your problem. You've got to put it in the bigger perspective of everything the Bible tells you. In other other words, instead of just allowing yourself to get absorbed in this one crisis of faith, you go up on the ramparts, you go up on the watchtower where you you can see a little farther down the road. Now, how do you do that? Well, let me suggest two ways that Christians can give themselves in the midst of a crisis a little broader perspective. Uh, Two ways to do that. One is by looking back into the past. The other is by looking forward into the future. Okay, so looking looking back. um, I'm assuming you guys know that we are not the first generation of Christians in this world. Right? We're not the first people to follow Jesus. The Christian faith didn't start with Billy Graham, didn't start with Hillsong, didn't start with, you know, the Presbyterian Church. Listen, guys, the history, do you know the history of, of Jesus' followers, the history of the church, it goes back two millennia, 2,000 years. So, listen, if you are struggling with some questions of doubt or some issue of, of faith, the odds are that someone has probably struggled with that same thing before you. So probably somebody has. And often, just by looking back into church history and seeing ways that other brothers and sisters have dealt with these issues, can, it can really help us. So here's a couple of examples. Let's say that um, you have noticed, or it has been pointed out to you, that the four Gospels when they tell the story of the life of Christ, they don't tell it exactly the same way. Some of the details are different from one to the other. The the chronology of the way they tell the story of his life, it's not exactly the same. And so maybe you're thinking, how do, wait a minute, there's these discrepancies, these differences. How do I trust that the Bible is God's word? How do I give this authority? Well, listen, before you throw away your Bible, all right, before you give up on, on, on Christ, it might help you to know 
that Christian scholars have been talking about the differences in the gospel since, like, since the second century. I mean, this is nothing new. Christians have known this for generations, and it hasn't ruined their faith. It, it, it's, it's sharpened their understanding of how to read Scripture. Just understand what a gospel is. What's the purpose of it? How do I read the Bible? So it, it, it just would help you to know when you hit a question like that. Hey, someone's been down this road before. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of my faith. We've, we've been here. Here's another example. Let's um, imagine that you, your faith is really shaken because you hear the, the news that a, a respected Christian leader has a really shameful, secret, um, sinful side in his life. That always shakes my faith to hear that. And let's say you, you hear something like that and you're, you're really struggling. How can the gospel be true? It might help you to know, listen, back in the 4th and 5th century, African Christians were dealing with that issue in a crisis that today is known as the Donatist controversy. There were just lots and lots of priests who renounced their faith and walked away from Christ because they didn't want to face persecution. And so the church, the church in the fourth century was reeling from this. All of our leaders failed us. You know, that was the guy that baptized me. That's the guy who brought me to Christ. Am I really a Christian? Is this really true? They really, oh, they struggled for decades. And there was this one godly old bishop named Augustine who sat down and he wrote some wise words of counsel for the church that just helped them work through that disappointing time. So you might be saddened to hear that, you know, Reverend so-and-so is a hypocrite, but it doesn't, it doesn't end your faith because you look back. You say, you know, people have been down this road before. It's not the end. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I... Um, we're hi we went hiking up in Harriman State Park, and um, we're hiking along through, through the forest, and, and uh, I don't know if it's because we weren't paying attention or maybe the trail wasn't very well marked, but we, we got to this place where we thought we were lost. Like, I, did, we, did we lose the trail? I'm not sure. I don't know where we are. And, uh, and then we looked up ahead, and there was, we saw this tree that was covered with graffiti. I mean, for years, hikers had, had been, for whatever reason, they all, everyone picked on one tree. People had been carving their initials in this one tree. And we said to ourselves, ah, don't panic. We're not lost. We're still on the right path. Look, other people have been here before. And that's what you can get from just looking back into the history of the Bible, the, the saints, the, the men and women of faith in the Bible, throughout church history, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going through a hard time right now. But look, look at all the names on the tree there. People have been down this road before. I can keep going. So you can get that kind of perspective by looking back into the past, and you can get perspective also by looking ahead into the future, just looking ahead, uh, like the song that we just, we just heard. He will rise up. We will rise up. The day is coming. Just looking ahead. This is so helpful, um, especially when you're struggling with the problem of evil in the world or suffering in your life. You're hurting. You're afraid. Your heart is broken, and it's hard to keep trusting God. The Bible says that Perhaps the best way to handle a crisis like that is just look ahead. Look ahead to the future, right? In other words, what you're going through, what we are going through right now, this is not forever. 
forever is coming. Eternity is coming. When she, the, see, the day is coming when Christ will return. And when that happens, listen, evil will be conquered, right? The world will be restored. Our questions will all be answered. Our sorrows will be gone. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Um, Romans 8, verse 18, Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary uh, troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now listen, guys. We need that kind of perspective. Don't, don't, get, don't, don't get so absorbed in your, your crisis, your problem, your doubts, your struggles that you can't see anything else. Look back. We've been through this. Church has been here a long time. Look ahead. This won't go on forever. Christ is coming back. In other words, just make a decision. Does this make sense? Mentally, just to climb up into the watchtower. Go up in the rampart. Don't get some perspective. So... To make it through a crisis of faith, you need patience, you need perspective. The third thing, steadfast trust. Steadfast trust. Now, if you look at the end of this passage, verse 4 and 5, God, in his counsel to, uh, to Habakkuk, God begins to talk about the Babylonians, and God basically agrees with Habakkuk that the Babylonians are evil, wicked people. God says, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. He is arrogant and never at rest. He is as greedy as the grave. He does take captive all the people. So, so God is like saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I know, I know what the wicked are like. But then in the middle of those verses, God is saying, I know what the wicked are like. But he says, Habakkuk, let me tell you what the righteous are like. Let me tell you, so it, it, right sandwiched in the midst of this discussion of the wicked, God says, here's what the righteous are like. Middle of verse 4, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. By his faithfulness. Now, some translations will render that the righteous will live by faith. Sometimes some Bibles say faithfulness, some say faith, and we say, well, which one is it? Is it faith or faithfulness? It's, it's, listen, it's both. In the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, faith and faithfulness are always overlapping terms. They always come together. If, listen, if you do have faith in God, this will lead you to, to live a faithful life. And if you're living a faithful life, it's because deep inside you have faith. They, they, they come together. And so I, I've, I've heard it suggested that maybe the best way in this verse to translate that, that word is not faithfulness or faith, but it's this. Steadfast trust. You just keep trusting God. You just put one foot after the other. You don't, you don't know where you're going. You don't know where, where the path is going to lead. You can't, you can't see ahead, but you just keep trusting. Like Martin Luther King Jr. said, faith, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. It's just, I'm going to trust. I don't know what's down the road. I just know that my Savior is calling. I will take the next step. Steadfast trust. 
So, so notice here, God says to Habakkuk, the righteous person will what? Live. Live. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. In other words, he's saying it's that steadfast trust. That's what keeps you alive in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a struggle with faith. That's what keeps you breathing. It's, listen, what, what brings you through a crisis of faith, it's not how smart you are that you can figure out all the answers. It's not, it's not how good you are that you never make any mistakes. It's not even how zealous you are that you really feel your faith for the Lord. No. Just simple trust. You might say, I don't have the answers. I don't understand anything. And I've made millions of mistakes. I keep making them all the time. And, my, and, and I just feel like my faith is so cold right now. But I'm going to take the next step. I'll just trust Him. The righteous will live by His faithfulness, by that, that trust in the Lord. Now what's interesting is this verse is quoted several times in the New Testament. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, for example, or Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. The Apostle Paul quotes this phrase from Habakkuk, and in each time he basically says, this little phrase from Habakkuk that God said to that prophet those many years ago, this man just in tears struggling over what's going on in his life, those little words God said to that man, Paul says, they summarize the entire gospel message. You can, he said you can boil it down to this, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous live by simple trust. Do you realize how good news that is? To, listen, to, to be counted among the righteous by God, you don't have to have all the answers. You might say there's lots of stuff. I got all kinds of doubts and questions. You don't have to have all the answers. You might make many mistakes. You know, we do that. You, you might be struggling with doubt. You might feel like, man, of everyone in this church, I probably have the weakest faith here. But God says, I count you among the righteous. You just trust Jesus. Just take that next step with him. So this, I think, is so encouraging to me. What makes you, do you realize that what makes you righteous in God's eyes what makes you a Christian, it's not the fervency of your faith. It's the focus of your faith, that you're just looking to Jesus. You might even be saying, I can't figure anything out. I can't explain all these questions from the Bible and from science, and I have all kinds of doubts, and I don't know why they're struggling in the world. But I know Jesus. I've seen him. I've heard about him. I've met him. And if I don't have the answers, he probably does, so I will just Focus on Him. I, I wonder if um, that's what you needed to hear today. God just saying, just, just take the next step. Focus on Him. There's a song we sometimes uh, sing. I love the words to this. Uh, the, song, the hymn writer says this, I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I can't figure out anything. I have a million doubts. I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at God's right hand stands one who is my Savior. And guys, I don't know 
who's listening to this right now and what you're going through or what you will go through. But if you're going through this time where it's really hard to just hold on, Habakkuk, if he were here, would say, have some patience. Don't give up. Give God some time. Get some perspective. Don't just get wrapped up in this struggle. Look back at what God's people have gone through. Look forward. Christ is coming. And then just simply take that next step with Christ. What would that be for you? That next step today. I'm going to keep trusting Him. But let me pray for us that God would give us grace to do that. Father, we are, I am amazed at the honesty and the relevance of your word that we see even your prophets struggled sometimes and we learn from their struggle what we would need to keep trusting Jesus. So I ask that you would give us, give us grace and courage and fortitude and patience, all of this through your Holy Spirit to keep our eyes on Christ, to take the next step with him because you will, you will bring us home. And I thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.